This is the Shameless Mom Academy. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Episode 340 with Andrea Owen. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 340. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Andrea Owen is an author, mentor, and professional certified life coach who helps high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choose courage and confidence instead. She has helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections and live their most kick-ass life. She's the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, which has been translated into 16 languages as well as her inaugural book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS-Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. When she's not juggling her full coaching practice or hosting retreats, Andrea is busy competing in triathlons, chasing her 11-year-old son and 9-year-old daughter, or making out with her husband, Jason. She's also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. So Andrea has been on the show before, and when she came on before, we kind of quickly mentioned that she's sober, and we talked a little bit about how that came to be. And I've had more and more people in my life opt for sobriety in the last couple of years, and I've also had more and more perspective on the mommy wine wars and mommy wine culture and the depth and breadth of 
pretty functional alcoholism that is rampant among women, and especially among moms, and how it's culturally really, really accepted for women to use alcohol as a coping mechanism. Like it's not even just accepted, it's promoted. Alcohol is heavily promoted to women as a coping mechanism. And so I wanted to have Andrea come back here and talk about her experience with alcohol because she does talk about it publicly. And I know that she's really open to sharing her experience, where she's come from, how she's grown over the years and where she's at right now in her sobriety. And I also knew she would have a lot of resources around this because I know it's something that's close to her heart. So she did not disappoint. <laughs> um, Andrea came back. And if you've ever listened to anything that she's done, her podcast is called Your Kick-Ass Life. If you have a podcast called Your Kick-Ass Life, like you have to show up with all the energy all the time, right? And Andrea never disappoints. She's awesome. She's fantastic. It's been an honor to get to know her over the last couple of years and just be able to connect with her from time to time and really support what she's doing in business and kind of use her as you know, bounced ideas off of each other a few different times. And I just really, really value her and her work. And so I'm really happy to have her back here for a second time on the show. And I'm really excited for her to talk about this topic, which is really one of my top priority topics for 2019. So listening to hear Andrea share the danger of stigmatizing alcoholism, how wine culture targeted at women, especially moms, makes it okay to use alcohol as a coping skill, the danger of normalizing alcohol use in everyday scenarios, the truth about the mental gymnastics and negotiation around alcohol for many women, how she navigated her son's autism diagnosis and her father's death while sober, and how sobriety brought her courage and self-confidence to take on anything in life. I think that this episode is going to just be really, really eye-opening and potentially help you shift your relationship or your thoughts around alcohol use a little bit, which I think is really valuable, regardless of where you stand in terms of your own use. I think it's important that we become more aware of what alcohol use among women really looks like on a cultural level and some of the scary truths behind that. And Andrea does a great job of diving into all of that. Additionally, she provides a number of resources throughout this episode, and they're all linked up in the show notes. So if you go to shamelessmom.com, click on episode 340, you will find them over there. Obviously, this is an explicit episode because Andrea has a podcast called Your Kick-Ass Life. So I mean, it goes without saying that there might be some swearing in here. So with all that said, I'm so excited to welcome Andrea Owen back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Andrea Owen, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy and honored to have you here again. I am back. I'm super excited too. I know this is going to be really good. I'm excited about this conversation because it's going to be like a part two. We're going to do a deep dive into like one little thing that kind of just like happened to come up in our first interview. And I'll make sure I link to your original Shameless Mom interview in the show notes. But you made kind of a just passing reference to something in our first interview. And I was like, okay, we need to do a deeper dive on that. Like this is a conversation that needs to be had. So we're going to dive into women and alcohol use and your experience with that in a minute here. Before we do that, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> dynamics is for, oh, it all is one for me, my personal life and my professional life. It really does mold together because I do work from home and I own my own business and, you know, creating balance in that has been sometimes a struggle. Sometimes I do it beautifully. <laughs> sometimes it's terrible. And my family, you know, my kids are 11 and nine now. And so we've gotten into a groove where we figured it out. It also helps that I'm making way more money now than I was in the very beginning. So mm, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. And I forgot the last part of your question. What are you most excited about right now? Oh, what am I most excited about? Oh my gosh, what I'm always excited about things. It's just, I think how I was born, it's in my DNA. I have a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm towards things, but 
I'm excited. I'll just tie it into the topic that we're going to talk about is I'm excited that there's a conversation taking place about women and alcohol because it's close to my heart. And it's a conversation that I don't think every single woman, you know, struggles with. But I do think it's a conversation that every single woman should at least be aware of. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And I have to say, because of the part of our conversation in our last interview, where we talked about this and a couple other just like little, again, kind of almost fleeting remarks that women have made on my show. I've really changed the way that I talk about alcohol and I've been way more acutely aware of how I see alcohol promoted to women and just the culture around alcohol. So mm-hmm. I think this will be an eye opener for women because I think there's going to be some women who really identify with like, wow, maybe this is a problem. And other women are just going to really have their eyes open to the culture around alcohol and how it's really targeted at women. And it's I think it's something we need to be aware of. How do you see women and moms in particular abusing alcohol? Well, I think, you know, no one can deny that there's some people that are making a whole lot of money off of mothers in particular and drinking and the drinking culture. And, you know, I think it's a safe bet to say it's a whole lot of men that are making Uh money off of this. And there are some people who get really passionate about it and talk about the alcohol industry as a way to keep women quiet, to keep women small. And I mean, whether you agree with that or not, I think what you can't deny is that for many women and mothers, it's a problem. And I also think, you know, to tie into that is that like, we can't deny that there's still shame and stigma around, you know, whatever you want to call it, alcoholism or problem drinking Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, addiction. And I think at the top of that list, like the people who should not struggle with this, like you are the worst is if you are a mother, like moms, we carry a special shame and stigma around having any kind of struggle with alcohol. So talk a little bit more about that. Why do you think that is especially stigmatized in moms? Because we're supposed to be a certain way, you know, we're supposed to be completely responsible for our children and nurturing and never selfish at all. And to see someone with a problem with alcohol, you're seen as selfish. And it's not Mm -hmm. like it's a term of endearment. Like no one is a child and wants to grow up to have a problem with alcohol or be an alcoholic. Like it's not something we're like, yay for you. (laughs) Congratulations. It's not. And it's really one of those things where no matter who you are, there's shame and stigma around it. And that was one of the reasons that I came out with my story seven years ago was because I wanted to put a face on alcoholism. And now, you know, we can go in any direction you want to. I'm just kind of like throwing things out there. There's a conversation on social media and just sort of in the mainstream now about getting sober because you want to, because for health reasons. And I'm in the party who's like, I think it would be amazing if we get to a point in life where drinking alcohol is like smoking is now. Because you remember like Mm. back in the 70s and 80s when I grew up, everybody smoked. It was everywhere. It was no big deal. And now, you know, there are designated areas and we kind of, we're not nice to smokers. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. And I think it would be amazing if my children grew up where alcohol is not a thing anymore. And, you know, we did not have to hear these stories of binge drinking in college and all of the problems and the sexual assaults and the deaths from alcohol poisoning and the drunk driving. Like the stats alone, if you really look at them, will blow your mind about how alcohol negatively affects 
society. It really will blow your mind. And so I kind of went off on a few different tangents there. So just grab whatever you want and run with it. <laughs> so, okay. With the shame and stigma, I think that there's like all these degrees of alcohol use. So there's like, we yeah. use alcohol for joy and celebration. Then we can be like functional alcoholics. So we can be someone who like drinks a lot and is totally functional and no one would ever know about it. And then there's like what you think of when you think of an alcoholic, like the people who are on the show intervention who like can't function at all and are just right. a complete disaster. And so there's these varying levels. And I think that because there's varying levels and there's a culture around it that some people don't understand that if you're an addict, consumption doesn't feel like a choice. And so I think that when you talk about the shame around it, especially for moms, I think that shame comes from us that our perception. So if I'm someone who's over drinking, that my perception is that other people are going to think I'm making an intentional choice to do that at the expense of my kids. And I would say for addicts, no addict would say that they want to put whatever their addiction is before their children, yet they do that all the time because mm-hmm. that's part of the disease. And so we talk about stigma. I think a lot of it is that because alcohol is something that is culturally consumed and used in so many ways that it makes it look like some moms are making a choice to drink at the expense of their kids or their family's livelihood. Yes. And you just touched on a few different things, but I think the thing that I'm going to grab onto is around, and it's interesting when I come on, because I do a lot of interviews on recovery shows and Mm -hmm. I can say the pronoun we, and I'm talking about the audience, you know, like me and the audience and the host. But when I come on to shows like yours, where it's just a mix of women and typically your topic is not this. I hesitate to say we, because then it makes me feel other. Like Mm. I'm over here and I don't mind that I am the other, but it's, I hesitate to create this separation because there is so much gray area. So many of us think like there's the alcoholic is on one end of the spectrum. And then, so it's black or white, you know, there's the alcoholic and then there's the people who can drink and have no consequences. There's a whole lot of gray area in the middle. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder, so if you are a heavy shedder, or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself, and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, 
a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Yes. And what people struggle with is that term alcoholic. And I'm not answering your question, but I want to kind of go in this direction just to make this point. There's this whole conversation in mainstream and social media where people are getting sober for health reasons. And I am like, hell yes, whatever it takes for people to stop drinking and have complete clarity of their lives, then yes, I love that. And at the same time, The analogy I use is remember when pole dancing became really popular and women, you know, suburban women were like flocking to gyms and doing pole dancing. But there was like this thing of like, I'm pole dancing, but I'm not a stripper. And strippers were like, hey, (laughs) right, right. There was this separation of like, we're better than you. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Sometimes the conversation goes, you know, I even Uh, saw Melissa Hartwig, whom I adore, you know, the creator of the whole 30 and she's a wellness expert. And she was doing an Instagram story and I thought she was like a recovering alcoholic. Maybe I was wrong, but she says, you know, I can be sober and not be an alcoholic. And the way that she said it, and I might've just taken that personally, but I was like, excuse me. But it felt like, again, the separation of like, I'm going to be sober. Sorry, my dog is having a sneezing attack. (laughs) Get her out of the room. Giselle. (laughs) She gets excited when I get excited. I know it's the spring allergies, but it's sort of like, "Mm," it rubs me the wrong way. It's very complicated is what I'm trying to say, Sarah. I think that makes a lot of sense though, because it feels negative when she's being real clear about like, but I'm not one of those people that has a problem. We like to put labels on things. Right. Alcoholic is one of them. And Mm -hmm. there is so much attached to that word. And I get it. And there's still so much shame and stigma even around mental illness. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners struggle with, you know, chronic or clinical anxiety or depression Mm -hmm. or, you know, all of these things. And where I get fired up is I'm like, can we work on taking down the stigma and the shame around having a drinking problem, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. But here's the thing, too, and here's where it gets even more complicated. I have a T-shirt that says sober across the front of it. I'm not afraid to wear that to any kind of recovery conference or even on social media and doing a YouTube video. But do you think I'm going to go to a PTA meeting wearing <laughs> I was just going to say, do you wear it to your oh, kids' yeah. school? <laughs> right, right. Right. And my kids are in elementary school. Yeah. So it's like I still feel that. Like I still feel that wanting to belong and not want to look like a quote unquote bad mom. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. You make all good points in there. And I actually know a number of people who, well, I know people on both sides of the spectrum. I know people who have decided to stop drinking for health reasons. And then I know people who have decided to stop drinking because in 
in light of motherhood, it seems to be, they realized that their drinking got really out of control and there was some consequences to that. And they were like, this is going nowhere good fast. And I don't like, there's not a way for me to control it other than to just not do it. That was Um, my story. So yeah. So with that, go ahead and tell us your story and the evolution of your alcohol use. Well, of course, there's so many things that are in retrospect as well. But, you know, to sort of fast forward to the point where I noticed that it was not good. And I do think I had an advantage in some ways because my dad got sober when I was 18. And it was because my mom had left him. And I didn't even know that my dad was an alcoholic, y'all. Like, I thought everyone's dad drank like eight to 12 beers a night. Both of my parents were avid tennis players. They were active. You would never think that it was our family. And I definitely had, you know, a persona of what an alcoholic looked like. And it was not my father. I never saw him drunk. I never saw my parents argue or anything like that. And so when he got sober, it was also very jolting to our family because he checked himself into rehab. And I remember when he told me he was going and he was like, I'm checking myself into rehab tomorrow. And I'm like, for what? I didn't know. And he's like, for drinking. And so then we went to this inpatient treatment center and they had this family night thing and they're going around the room. I mean, it was surreal. And I sat there and told the counselor it was. And, you know, I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about the hard stuff and it was just happiness. And if you had any other feelings, you went and did it in your room by yourself and came out, you know, we shoved things under the rug, (laughs) didn't talk about hard things. And so, you know, they're going around the room and it got to me and I was crying and I hated crying in front of people. And I little miss chip on my shoulder, 18 years old. And I said, I don't know why we're here, but my dad isn't an alcoholic. And the counselor said to me, and I remember she smiled at me a little bit patronizing from what I remember. And she said, your father is what we call a functional alcoholic. Mm. And I don't remember anything much after that, but I knew what that meant, you know, that there's this difference. It's not the hobo in the gutter, that there are people who are working and, you know, members of society that pay their taxes that can even be wealthy and live this amazing life and have a problem, a real problem with their drinking. And so fast forward, after I had my two kids, I had even gone through 12-step programs for my codependence. I knew that I struggled in other areas of my life with relationships, and I had done well and really gotten on the personal development you know, track and was doing well. And I launched Your Kick-Ass Life and was noticing, sort of had that voice in the back of my head, that my drinking had picked up. Mm-hmm. And I had two babies at home. And I mean, you know, like toddlerhood was not my favorite. It really wasn't. <laughs> I loved infant and like four years old on, but toddlerhood was rough. And I had just started this new business. We had, you know, the recession and there was all these variables. But I think even if those variables weren't there, I wanted to escape from my life. I felt like there was so much pressure just being a woman and being a mom and losing my identity as the single person and grieving the loss of my first marriage and all of these things that everyone experiences, right? Like you get your heart broken by the time you're 25 or 30, it stays with you if you don't deal with it. So I drank because I wanted just a mini vacation from my life. You know, I... I was bored. I wanted so much more for my life. And there's so many reasons I think that we drink. I drank because I was happy. I drank because I was bored. I drank because I was sad, because I was lonely, because all of the things, any emotion, I drank because it. And then it became habitual. And then it was like Groundhog's Day every single day. And I remember the day that I realized I drank an entire bottle of wine by myself, like on a Tuesday, and where it was just like no occasion. Yeah. I just did it. 
And I noticed I was hiding how much I was drinking from my husband. And I would drink a couple of glasses of wine before he would get home at five. And then I would put that glass in the dishwasher and pull out a new one, like at 5.30 or 6, pretending like like I was getting started. And just kind of that voice in my head that was like, I don't think this is normal. Like normal people don't do this. Like that's what I kept thinking. And then it got to the point where I was putting wine in coffee mugs at three Mm. o'clock in the afternoon. And that's why like it breaks my heart a little bit when I see these funny mugs that says there might be wine in this. That was life. And it was headed into disaster. You know, we hear these women who get DUIs or get in accidents with their children and they're like, I would never do that. And that's what I used to say. I would never Mm -hmm. do that. But that's where I was headed. Right. And I never did. But that's where I was headed. And I think the last time, which was such a big red flag for me, was I was pouring Merlot into an empty Diet Coke can because it was like two or three in the afternoon. And I had to go out into the cul-de-sac and like pull my kids around on the wagon. And I'm like... I want to fucking gouge my eyes out. Like, I'm so bored. <laughs> right. Like all of us are like, oh, the wagon. Hang <laughs> out with my children all day long. Like I love you for like an hour and then I need it. Mommy needs a break. And right. and like that's what, you know, wine culture teaches us that it's like hilarious. Right. And it became not hilarious anymore. And I wanted it to be hilarious. Like I wanted it to be fun. And it wasn't. And I couldn't go back to that place And I kept trying and, you know, I kept also pining for the days where I would go to Vegas with my girlfriends and I missed that. But that wasn't what my drinking life looked like. It was at home every evening, drinking wine and getting up the next day and doing the whole thing over again. And for me and seeing what had happened to my dad and knowing what a functional alcoholic was, was like, I don't have to wait until I hit a rock bottom. I know I need to abstain. What really actually got me to know I need to abstain is I talked to a friend of mine who had been in recovery for like 10 years at that point. And I called her and I said, I think there's a problem. And I was kind of explaining to her like what I just told you. And she said, just do this. She's like, just quit for 30 days and see what happens. So it's not really so much. She didn't tell me this, but here was like the wink, wink. It's not so much of the staying sober for 30 days. It's see what happens. Mm. (laughs) And what happened was I was white knuckling it. I could not stand. The anxiety was just too much. I lasted six days, Sarah. And after when I started drinking again, after that six days, I knew like my gut just screamed, Andrea, you have got to stop because this is just headed for disaster. Oh my gosh. So a couple things. I want to touch on wine culture specifically and the mommy wine mug situations that we all laugh about on social media because there is so much promotion of wine as a coping skill on social media and commercials, like all these things, the whole idea of mommy juice, like all of that. And I think it's so horrifying because it teaches us that this is just totally normal. And this is what everyone does. And we all just have a glass of wine while we pull our kids around the neighborhood at three o'clock in their wagons. And the truth is that like, there's like you said, there's this big spectrum. So there's someone who could do that like once a month, and it could just be like a fun little thing. And then there's people who can't and people who are doing that every single day. And we have this cultural messages that this is just like, what moms do and that this is a legit coping skill that like, well, if you're stressed out as a mom, just have a little bit of wine and it'll feel so much better. It's like diet culture. Like you're exposed to all these messages where you can filter them to a certain point, but when you're in a tough moment, a tough day, you're totally stressed out and maxed out on like, you know, navigating stress. 
you're like, oh, well, I mean, I've only heard a million times that I should just have a little bit of wine and I'll feel better. So I'm going to just do that. And regardless of whether or not you take it to the level of it becoming a huge problem, you are internalizing these messages and accepting them as fact and then acting on them. And I think that that's just so problematic in your situation. I find it really relatable. I think it's really fascinating that when your friend said to you, like, just quit for 30 days, what was your instinct? Were you like, oh, sure, I can do that? Or were you like, holy mm-hmm. crap, like 30 days sounds like a really long time? I mean, I didn't want to. I wasn't like looking forward to it. But part of me was like, well, and I love a challenge. I'm like, I will prove to you that mm-hmm. I can do this. Okay. And and it's the same thing when people ask me, can't you just have one? And mm-hmm. let me tell you what that looks like for me. Yes, I can have just one. And what's going to happen is that I am going to be constantly thinking about having another drink. Mm-hmm. I like to say it's sort of like when you have to pee super bad and you're in the car and you're looking for like the rest stop and that's all you can think about. And you know, you're not thinking about what the person is actually saying to you. You're not thinking about the food that's being served at the party. You're just not, you're thinking about how can I somehow manipulate this where I can have another drink or thinking about the inventory on the table. Right. You pointed at something really interesting and that's about, you know, the person who can drink, you know, in the afternoon, once a month or whatever, and that's it. And here's the thing is that, again, we look at this as like the either you're an alcoholic or you're not. That's not the case. What I see happen is because we laugh and culturally think that it's just fine. I honestly, I think that wine is modern day Valium, is the Valium of the 60s yeah, and the 70s totally. that caused so many problems with women. Totally. And so what happens is, is yes, it, you know, three o'clock, funny wine at the play dates, and that's fine. The thing that we know about alcohol and what it does to our brains and our bodies and the tissues and our organs is that it's progressive. Mm. It's a progressive thing that happens. You know, I'm not even going to say it's a disease because that's a controversy, which I'm not even totally on board with. <laughs> that's a whole oh, other conversation. Oh, I didn't just, know that. I didn't know this was a controversy. Well, oh my gosh. In the world of recovery, which I have, com- there's this whole controversy about calling us alcoholics because then it becomes our identity. Mm. And I have feelings about all of that. And okay. yeah, it's controversial. But yeah. it, what we do know is that it's progressive. And so there is the person who can, and I'm friends with these people who, and that's why I think I like having them over. They don't care if they come over for game night and there's no alcohol there. Mm -hmm. They just don't think about it. It's not a thing. Their life and social life does not revolve around alcohol at all. And that's great. (laughs) If you're that person, I envy you. (laughs) (laughs) But for a lot of us, you know, like I'll give that example. It starts out as the like it's hilarious. Let's all get together for mom's, you know, play dates and everybody has thermoses of wine or whatever. And then it becomes the next day. We've normalized it so much right. that for many women, and it becomes a dirty little secret mm-hmm. because nobody wants to admit that they have a problem. Again, because there's so much shame and stigma around it. We feel like failures as mothers if we can't control this thing and it starts to control our lives. Yes, totally. So that's one of the points I wanted to bring up is a friend of mine decided to get sober a couple of years ago, and she was sharing this with me. I didn't know this is someone who lives across the country. I did not know this was happening. And one of the things that she said was how much mental energy was around navigating her alcohol use and 
so she had all this guilt around it because she knew that she was drinking more than she should. And she kept trying to figure out ways to manage mm. it better. So every day, like she would drink too much at night. And then the next day be like, today, I'm definitely not doing that. And then it would be like four o'clock. And she's like, well, maybe just a little bit. And it was just yeah. this constant negotiation and this like constant dialogue in her head that was just completely exhausting. And mm-hmm. so she never did anything super dangerous, but she realized how consuming the thought patterns around it were. And so she ended up having a conversation with her husband around like, I really think I need to quit. And when she did that, I think similar to your story, it was a struggle, but she took it very seriously and ended up joining an online community and getting a lot of support through there. And she's doing really, really well. And now she's like, there's so much more mental space in my life because yes. I'm not constantly thinking about this. So oh can you gosh. speak to that a little bit? Cause I'm sure that rings true. I was you. just talking about that this morning to someone and, and the question, it was for a recovery podcast. Mm-hmm. And she said, what's been the biggest gift of sobriety? And that's exactly what I mm-hmm. said is like, not just the clarity, but the space that's been opened up where I just don't think about drinking at all anymore. And that story that you said with your friend, that was my life. And that really becomes so painful. So it's not even about the hangovers or, you know, showing everybody your thong or whatever at a party. Like (laughs) those are like, we all all had like humiliating experiences probably, but it was that groundhog's day. So it's like you wake up in the morning, feel guilty for how much you drank the night before, swear that you aren't going to drink as much anymore. I would even go to the grocery store and feel so proud of myself that I didn't buy any wine. And then four or five o'clock comes around and that feeling like I'm going to crawl out of my skin. I just couldn't anymore. And then I'd be like, I need to go to Trader Joe's and get some garlic. And I, you know, buy a couple bottles of two bug check. I'm not going for garlic. And, but <laughs> the I recipe swear, could have done without the garlic. It would right. have been fine. <laughs> that was just my excuse. But I would swear I would only drink one. And then it's this constant justifying of how much you're drinking. Right. That's it became over and over and over and over again. And it was I know that place. And maybe some of your listeners are like having this like, oh, my God, I so wish I wouldn't have listened to this episode. But just that like <laughs> deep sigh of surrender of maybe I need to look at this. And here's what I want to say too, is that y'all, there are so many women out there in groups on social media and in real life where it's not a bunch of quote unquote, like hobos, you know, like that's how we think of it. You know, these people on intervention who have like destroyed their life. We think that people aren't going to be relatable. And the truth is the majority of the people in recovery are probably super relatable. Yeah. And I'm not trying to crap on those people who have just reached their absolute bottom, but we romanticize in some ways that that's what recovery looks like. And we've created that over there. Yes. But trust me, there is so much gray area and there's so much community where people have just decided to stop drinking and maybe not forever. Like you don't need to decide forever, just maybe like this year or this month or whatever. Okay. So that's a perfect segue then. So you mentioned you decided to commit to this 30 days. You were totally white knuckling it. You made it for six days. So then what was the next attempt to try again? And was it scarier that second time? Because I would imagine having made it six days out of your attempted 30, did it feel scarier to try to get sober again? And how'd you go about it? No, it didn't because that 30-day trial that I that I failed at, that was really my answer. That really got me to look at the mental gymnastics like you were talking about. It yeah. wasn't even so much the drinking. For me, and I don't know if this is everybody, my experience was that 
I was drinking, again, drinking was just a symptom. For the years before that, it was my eating disorder. It was codependence. It was love addiction. Like I always had something that I was using to numb out my life because I could not cope with the grief of the devastation of my first marriage. So many heartbreaks of my life that we all have. I didn't have any coping skills. Yeah. So I did what I knew. And when I knew it was such a moment for me when I decided to get sober, And maybe it was because I was in the personal development world that I realized this. I was like, I have got to face my life. And I was scared. Like, I'm not going to lie, Sarah. And again, I don't want to scare people who are listening, but, and you might not be there yet. Maybe just quitting drinking is the first step. But I also knew what was possible for me. Like, you know, am I going to, you know, just kind of excavate things and so I can be a better person, so I can be a better mom, so I can be a better wife. And I was in some small ways excited about it a little bit just to see what was on the other side. Because at that point, I had talked to people who were in recovery, whom I admired and was like, I want what they have. Like, I want this to go away. I want this feeling, this burden just to stop. I don't want my life to revolve around wine anymore. And of course, I was scared. And I'm like, who am I without drinking? Like, I'm the fun one pretty much no matter what. Like, you can count on me for a good time. But I'm like, who am I if I'm not drinking? Am I going to be fun at parties? Right. You know, like, people rely on me. I'm going to be letting down all my fans. <laughs> right. That's, that's just, you know, of course, the part that really wants to keep drinking was telling me that. And I am still very fun at parties. But to answer your question, I went in with somewhat open arms and kind of went whole hog on it because I knew that. I just was confident that it could really change my life. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS. S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S. AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Mm. What did you do? Did you do inpatient? Did you start going to meetings? What was the actual treatment? No, I wasn't physically addicted. I know people ask me like, did you get the shakes and everything? Mm. Like I didn't, my body was not physically addicted. For me, it was really an emotional and mental thing. No, I was able to quit. I talked to my husband about it and I didn't tell my mom. We had just moved to a different state at the time. We were near my mom and I went to Alcoholics Anonymous to AA because that's what I saw my dad do. And it was really, I didn't know any other options and Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't need to go to rehab. And that worked for me for a while. And I know it doesn't work for everyone. I no longer go. I have my feelings about it, but I do think it's a great option for a lot of people. There's a lot of options now. They've come a long way, even since I got sober seven years ago. If there's people who might be thinking that, I mean, there might be people who are thinking they're like Mm -hmm. completely not in the gray area, that they definitely need help. But for the people in the gray area and anywhere on the spectrum, what are some of the other resources and like, what are some good first steps that people can take? Yeah, I have some that I think that your listeners might like. So there's a couple of colleagues that I have. So check out She Recovers and it's run by a woman that I know named Dawn Nichol. She's Canadian. So that means she's really nice. And (laughs) my friend... Holly Whitaker has something called the temper. It's very feminist in nature. So just be warned, but she's been a great voice in her blog, hipsobriety.com. I think that's where she is. She writes a lot about like, let's not call each other alcoholics. And there's so much room for, anyway, she's very opinionated and I love her. And there's also the book, This Naked Mind by an author named Annie Grace. I mean, again, the stats alone will blow your mind, but it very much, it's not like a, you need to completely, she even says in the introduction of the book, like, keep drinking when you're Mm. listening to this or reading it. And just, it's just a really interesting perspective on drinking and just culture and advertising and how it's been thrown in our faces and all of these things. So I would check out those three just to start with. And there's also... I don't know much about it, so I can't vouch for it, but I think it's called Women in Sobriety or Women for Sobriety or something like that. That's another option for recovery. Okay. So my friend who went through this a couple of years ago, she found a Facebook group. I'm sure there's a ton of Facebook groups, but I thought this was a really powerful and beautiful example. She found a Facebook group of people who were in different areas of their sobriety. And she joined the Facebook group. And it was basically just, I think, a you know big private group of thousands of people 
in different places, but were who were all like just checking in regularly, supporting each other. But what ended up happening for her is she got really connected to a handful of the women in the group and they ended up kind of starting their own. I think actually like one of the women at some point said, Hey, I would really love to start like a group text or something with, you know, five or six people just for like accountability on a daily basis. And so she ended up in this group text that went on for two years and it was like a game changer for her just mm-hmm. to have this like place. Cause she's like had all these other mom friends who wanted to be supportive, but couldn't relate. And I think that's about so many different aspects of life. Like when I had a newborn and my friends had three-year-olds and I was like, don't talk to me about how I should just yeah. snuggle my baby. And it's going to go too fast because this is hell. So it's you need to hell. have people who are in the same place at the same time. And that's what this gave her. And it was really, really powerful and transformational for her to have that as an opportunity and a place of connection. So I think I agree with you that there's, I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. And I also think there's a lot of ways to kind of get your toe wet to like, I'm a voyeur kind of person. Like, I'm just going to check this out and see how it feels kind of a thing versus like, I think we all think that like the first and only step is like, I have to check into a clinic. That might no. be the case, but for some people, but yeah. there's a lot of other options, right? That are way less like the movie. What was that movie with Meg Ryan? Oh, when a man loves a woman. Yes. <laughs> yes. I went home after like that. that movie. So I went and saw that. I was like a junior in high school. I went home after watching that movie and told my mom, I was like, so I know that you're an alcoholic, by the way. And she was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh I know that you have a drink every night. And she was like horrified, horrified. <laughs> right? Nobody wants to be called that. She's oh, like, geez. I have one drink every night. And have you ever seen like anything? Like, you know, she's like, I have like a one drink while I'm making dinner and that's it. Have you ever seen me out of control? Have you ever, like all these things. And for her, it probably was a coping skill. She was a single parent, but mm. I immediately after watching that movie went to this place of like, I know now the family secret that I'm a child oh, of an geez. alcoholic. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, it really is. Um, gosh, what we see in the media paints mm-hmm. a picture. And that's what she talks about. Annie Grace talks about in that book, This Naked Mind. And she actually has her own group and even maybe programs. There's so much out there, y'all. Like yeah. you are not alone. And like you nailed it, Sarah. Like you have to find people. And that's honestly where I really struggled in Alcoholics Anonymous is because mm-hmm. the stories that I was listening to were people that had multiple DUIs. And there was a woman my age who had lost her children and, oh, and prison time. And here I am in my Joe's jeans and my Banana Republic coat. Like, I'm like, um, I drink too much wine. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like totally functional and I've never actually had like a horrible outcome. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. And then you feel like weird talking about your struggles. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, and they tell us like, look for the similarities, not the differences. And here's the thing though, is that I knew it was helpful for me to hear their stories because I knew that's where I was headed. Yeah. And the thing about women and alcohol is because the way that we metabolize sugar differently, faster than men, the progression in our drinking problems tends to be faster. We are seeing DUIs on the rise over the last 10 years, up 30%. Wow. For women and they have stayed the same for men. There's so many things that point to women having problems with alcohol. And again, I think the thing that I want to hammer home is that it doesn't have to be a couple of things. It doesn't have to be that you decide today that you're going to quit drinking forever. Mm-hmm. For some of us, that is the answer, but it's not for everybody. And you know, if someone's out there listening who really thinks they might need to moderate, then go out there and try. Look yeah. into it. There are plenty of books about that. And I'm going to tell you a quick secret. (laughs) Most of the time, if you feel like and you're trying and trying to moderate like your friend did, Mm -hmm. 
we end up finding out that that doesn't work yes. for us and we end up having to get sober. Right. Not, not every single person. You might be the exception. Wink, right. wink. And also just like you don't have to call yourself anything. Yeah. You can call yourself an alcoholic. You can call yourself a problem drinker. You can call yourself. I always say to like, I have a tumultuous relationship with alcohol. You know, some people call it I over like, drinking, like yeah. whatever you want to call it, like right. take the charge away from it and just take a look at the habit. I love it. Have you read Gretchen Rubin's stance on abstinence versus moderation? For her, she talks about it more in the context of sugar and kind of around diet culture even. But so her stance is that there are personality types that can moderate and there are personality types that cannot moderate. And for those who cannot moderate and the people who cannot moderate are the people who always are trying to make it work. Like, I'm just going to have one piece of candy, but then like they are dying to have another piece like and it's all they can focus on or I'm just gonna have one drink but like then like you said like they're dying to figure out how can they can negotiate for a second drink and so the people who really like have this disposition where they need to abstain are the people who are always trying to make moderation work and it never works whether it's in relationship to french fries or sugar or alcohol or anything and then there's people who actually can moderate and be like I'm gonna have like the snack size My mom can Twix, do that. and I'm good or I'm gonna have one yeah. glass and I'm fine So you have to know your personality type and like which one works for you. And she said for her, she was someone who always tried to moderate with sugar in particular. And when she finally decided the route of abstinence, like I'm just not going to eat sugar and that's going to be part of my identity. I do not eat sugar. While that sounded big and hard and scary, the mental freedom that it created, because like I talked about earlier with my friend's experience with alcohol, she didn't think about it all the time. It was just like, I don't do that anymore. And that was so clear and cut and dry in her mind that it, like improve the whole rest of her life because it wasn't Mm -hmm. this thing that she was wasting energy on. And so I think that the difference between moderation and abstinence and what works for one person versus another, I think is a really interesting thing to look at. And she talks specifically about this in her book better than before, but that's opened my eyes in different in multiple things in life. But I think it really pertains to alcohol as well. Yeah. It's interesting. Like just one last thing, like another perspective on this is Any other thing that we're consuming in our life that we know isn't working for us, we would figure out how to change it. You know, it's like if you know that like dairy gives you the worst Mm. farts ever and you have to be around (laughs) people at like the office or something and and you probably aren't going to put half and half in your coffee anymore and eat yogurt for breakfast, like you're going to do something about it. But alcohol is the thing that we do whatever we can to try to figure out how to make it work. And it's a (laughs) cultural thing. Totally. Nobody raises an eyebrow if you're lactose intolerant. Yeah. But we do raise an eyebrow if you're like, I've decided not to drink anymore because I feel like it's not working for me. You know, right. it's like, that's what I want to try to eradicate. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how your life has changed since quitting alcohol. And I'm assuming there's been a bit of a progression to that as well. I think about like what would have happened if I would have kept drinking. You know, I was up to a bottle a night and it's seven years later. I would no doubt be drinking two bottles at this point just to be able to get the same feeling that I was trying to get. Just a little buzz. And I can't even imagine what that would have done to my body and not just like weight gain. I just mean the mental fog and the guilt and all the feelings around it and just waking up feeling like crap. And, And, you know, my kids were toddlers when I got sober and just my life has changed in so many ways. Like my kids won't remember me drinking at all, Mm. at all. My husband chooses not to drink. I think he is one of those actual people who's allergic, like the stories he's told me about what happened to him in his 20s. And so he just doesn't. And there's no alcohol in our house. I don't even own wine glasses, Sarah. Like I don't. I don't have any. (laughs) If people want to drink wine at my house, you need to drink it out of a coffee mug. (laughs) And also what I have created 
from a business standpoint and being a business owner and writing two books. And I just can't even imagine doing that, having the space taken up by my drinking. I think a breakdown would have happened is mm. and I think would have ended up. Do you think you on. would have ended up in recovery regardless? It just would have happened later. I think had I kept drinking, it would have gotten to the point where I would have needed rehab. I would have needed some kind of inpatient, you know, just thinking about motherhood in general and how hard it is to parent. Like when my son was five, he was diagnosed with autism. We dealt with that. And my dad dying, like I would have been a wreck. Like I didn't know how to cope. I was coping by drinking. And I think, you know, as women, we tend to like stockpile and just people in general do this. Like we stockpile and stockpile and like we push it down and push it down using whatever it is alcohol, food, relationships, and then we get to our breaking point. And women can take so much shit before they actually break. And it manifests as insomnia, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, lashing out, judgment, gossip, like all this crap that's never in alignment with the person that we want to be. And then we reach a breaking point. And I see women go decades before they finally reach the end of their rope. And I didn't want that for me. Really awesome. Just super high quality, gorgeous looking stuff that will totally impress your partner. So if you need a little Father's Day gift inspiration, I want you to definitely go check out Swanky Badger. They definitely have something for everyone. You might even find something you want for yourself on there. I'm kind of obsessed with the wooden watches. So go check those out. I want to get one for myself. Maybe I should ask a men's wooden watch from Swanky Badger for my birthday. So super easy. You choose the gift you want. You type in the message you want engraved and it lands on your doorstep fully customized in just a few days. This is so perfect, especially if you have someone in the military or someone who's traveling for work or just a dad that you want to show appreciation for. Go create your own personalized Father's Day gift today by going to swankybadger.com slash shameless and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. That's swankybadger.com slash shameless and make sure to watch the video of all the guys crying. That's swankybadger.com slash shameless. I also think you just like very casually glossed over two huge things that that what the potential for alcohol to be way more damaging in light of your son being diagnosed with autism Mm -hmm. and in losing your father like those were two triggers that could have really sent things over the edge and like one of them like your son having this diagnosis like that's a lifelong thing like that could have been something that where you used alcohol as a coping skill much more regularly, frequently, and felt very justified in doing so. Because I think that any parent who has to face, you know, something big and challenging for a long time would feel like rightly so, like mama deserves a break. I need a drink. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have a more acute period of grief when you, with a loss of a loved one. And so in either of those situations where there are moments of like, I want to go back to drinking or were there considerations around that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Especially when my son, you know, when we went through that whole process and if anyone's been through that, like the grief involved in that, that, that is not really talked about. And when you get a diagnosis like that, you're expected to hit the ground running with resources and trying to get help for your child. And of course, that's what you want to do because you're a good parent. And the emotions around that I wasn't prepared for. And I remember sitting at the kitchen counter on the phone with my best friend and I was crying and just It was hard. And she said, just kind of casually, she's like, is this the first time you've ever gone through something like this sober? And I was like, like I had that realization of like, oh my God, like I have to actually walk through this fire. And what it taught me was, yes, I can do it. You know, I am resilient, like walking through that and we're never done. But I think especially that first like handful of months, 
it gave me so much courage and self-trust and confidence because this could be a whole other podcast episode. Like people always want to know from me, like, how do I gain confidence? And I want to be able to trust myself and be fearless. And I'm like, girl, you got to go do the thing. Like yeah. you get it on the other side. And for me being sober and walking through that and like losing my dad, like being there as he took his last breath and it was just he and I, and he was the first person I had ever lost in my life and not drinking through that. Like I can do anything like, yeah. if I can do that and not like do any of the poor coping mechanisms I had before. Like I feel like a badass because I can get through that and oh. just get through it. I love that. That's such a great, a great place for us to end because I think that that is such a hopeful perspective. And I absolutely agree. I mean, I have not gone through this with sobriety, but I've gone through this with so many other hard things where when you walk through the thing, it totally shifts the way you view yourself. And so to get through that and then be like, oh, like now I can do other really hard things too. And I can be unstoppable in other ways and powerful in in new ways that I never imagined before because I've overcome my greatest fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's resilience. That's life. Yes. I love it. Okay. I want you to tell people where they can connect with you, where they can get your books. Like, I mean, we haven't even talked about your book or your podcast of which you have many of those things. So. <laughs> many of those things. Yeah. You have so many things episodes. because this is what sober people do. So much productivity. <laughs> we just have, we just don't know what to do with all of our time that we're right. not drinking. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I have your kick-ass life is a podcast. I have almost 300 episodes as we're recording this. I have two books. Just go to your and follow me on Instagram. That's my favorite places to hang out. Okay. Awesome. And <laughs> follow you on Instagram when everyone can meet your dog. Giselle. Because she is the star of my story. <laughs> totally. She is hilarious. She needs her own show. I was PMing with somebody and I'm like, if she had her own show, she would just take too many naps and eat all the snacks. Like that would just be her own show. <laughs> and we would all just be jealous because we all right. want that life, right? Vinny and Giselle need their own show. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Totally. Totally. Oh, this has been so great, Andrea. I really appreciate this. I know that this conversation is going to impact other women's lives and perspectives and just help some women do some deep work that maybe they've been like waiting for the right time to dig into. So I really appreciate your openness and honesty and vulnerability here today. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And I just am always grateful for people that choose to spend their time with us. And I know that yes. their time is so valuable. So I always want to say a special thank you to your listeners. Oh, love that. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.